Welcome back to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. Glad you're with us. This edition is sponsored by the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. For more information, head to MOTOETF.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi again, Alan. Hey, good afternoon, Fred. Good afternoon. It's a hot one. And we are happy to have joining us from the Reason Foundation, Senior Managing Director of Transportation Policy, Baruch Feigenbaum. Thanks for taking the time, Baruch. Thank you. And that was just a perfect pronunciation of the name. (laughs) Thank you. Also with us, Dick Mudge, President of Compass Transportation and Technology. Great to see you, Dick. Absolutely. Earlier today, Dick, uh, you moderated a Transportation Research Board debates centered on, on a few things, really, centered on AVs and freight, uh, serving neighborhoods, and speeding deployment. Give us a, a little bit of an overview of, of some of these discussions. We can start out, I guess, on the freight side. Yeah, sure. I, we call the session Shark Tank to make it stand out. Uh, it differs in style and substance from almost everything else that TRB does. Uh, our, we, we try to focus on topics with an emphasis on policy and economic impacts. And today we covered four topics. Uh, Baruch Feigenbaum led the first one regarding the ability of autonomous vehicles to reduce, to reduce truck costs. And what is that? What are the implications of that? Second topic covered whether or not uh, low-income communities would be the first market for AVs. Uh, Selica Talbot from American University gave a brilliant uh, and comprehensive, but brief summary. I, I'm not sure how she did it. Uh, I think the general conclusion of the d- discussion was that AVs should focus on low-income communities, but that this was unlikely to be the first market. The third topic covered how to speed deployment of AVs. Tyler Duvall described Cavnew's plans to deploy an AV corridor in Michigan. The Sharks, Allen, Brad Templeton and Cara Cockleman were very skeptical, to put it nicely, regarding the role of infrastructure in speedy Navy deployment. Um, one of the uh, commentators, Carlos Braceros, the Utah DOT secretary, uh, was very strong in saying he thinks uh, state DOT should be given more credit for their use of technology, that they were looked down upon a little bit. Uh, the fourth topic um, was led by Sven Biker from Silicon Valley mobility. Uh, We discussed how many AVs would survive. Uh, Much of this topic covered what was meant by surviving. Uh, And as always, we had an active, interesting debate with some fun. And I thank Alan and Baruch for certainly helping out. Um, This is always fun. Baruch, when you look at this, uh, and on the freight side, the one you moderated today, you see a, a pretty significant potential drop in costs? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's significant. I don't know if I'd want to say it's revolutionary, but I think just because of the ability to go ahead and get rid of the driver, the ability uh, to have that middle middle stretch, shall we say, the stretch on the interstate that's between where the truck's destination and origin are automated, I think it really makes a big difference. Now, my sort of skepticism is not in whether the technology is there. I think the technology of automating the sort of level four as SAE, um, which Alan hates, but I'm saying level, I'm saying SAE anyway, <laughs> well, we'll, they'll get there, um, you know, four or five years, maybe. I think the bigger problem is going to be regulatory. I think it's going to be legal. I think it's going to be um, truck drivers, OIDA, who maybe don't want to do it. Um, you know, even now we have the Biden administration talking about they want to make sure that there's at least two people on railroads. Um, are they going to, you know, put similar things for trucks? Say we need to have somebody on the truck, um, you know, and, and somebody that has to have highly skilled. So um, it'll happen, um, but it'll happen slowly. Well, Alan, I know you've uh, argued for a long time that for this autonomous technology to really be a benefit in the trucking industry, you don't have to remove the driver. 
Yeah, we're, well, that's that's one point. One, you don't have to remove the driver. You can improve the quality of life of the driver, and therefore maybe more people would be willing to drive, and therefore we wouldn't have a driver shortage. I mean, again, I, I can't imagine myself trying to feed my family sitting there behind a truck 10 hours a day trying to keep between two white lines and not die. I mean, this is a tough job and, and, and you have to sit there and pay attention the whole time. And I don't know what you do to yourself to be able to, to remain alert that amount of time and so on. I mean, I sit here and my, and my dad, I doze off. I don't do, I mean, I, I would have died long ago if I, if, if I was out there driving. So I, I think, I think the, the, the first thing I'd like to see out of the technology is for the people to realize that and, and then go out and make that available. And I think CEOs will buy it. And I think there can be a lot of companies that can be that can that, that can win on that one. With respect to completely taking the driver out, I tried to throw the curveball and say, why doesn't the railroad industry try to do this? Nobody got it. They thought that I wanted to run 200 uh, uh, car coal trains with nobody. No, the advantage of taking the driver out of there is that the reason we have 200 car coal trains is to minimize the labor impact on that movement. If you have no labor impact, then you can run two car trains one car train, four car trains. You can improve the frequency. You look at any rail line in the United States, how often does a train come by? I mean, come on, why? Because they have to wait to accumulate enough, you know, to be able to pay off two people. Well, it's, you know, one of the things that we did in 1975 was we bought out three of the positions. There used to be five guys, and they were guys, you know, that had to be on a train, you know, every hundred miles. Why? Because you had to fill it up with water, coal, but you know, five. And we bought out three of those jobs. And it's a good thing because all the seven railroads in the Northeast were bankrupt. And so when we put them back together, if the only way that it was going to work is, you know, you couldn't pay for five, you, let's pay for two, bought them out. Okay. We should buy out the last two. Pay them, pay them to not come. Just pay them, pay them, because I think I, I think Baruch, if you go through the computations of that, you'll see that the economic benefit of that is like phenomenal. Well, I I think you're right. I guess I would just say that when it was either BNSF or Union Pacific tried to cut down to one person crews, I mean it was like a PR disaster. I mean people striking, everything. So. It, I mean, so give oh. give them a war chest, put money on there, pay, buy them out, say, hey, you know, I, 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 I think the way to do it, Alan, I, I, I like your idea. The way to do it is not to have a railroad do it. You have a new technology company come in uh, and says, this is the way we're going to do it. We're going to rent the track from from the railroads uh, and it's a separate company. Maybe, maybe. I mean, you know, the advantage is we do have these rights of ways. They still do exist. Yeah. They really they don't really go to the Amazon warehouse, which is really unfortunate. But hell, Amazon's going to build a hell of a lot more warehouses. Guess where their next warehouse could be? It could be there. And in fact, these things running two car trains, one car trains, frequency, da, da, da. You know, this is not computers running this thing. Boom, they, you know, I mean, there should be, and it's it's on its separate right away. They're fenced. In most places, there aren't kids playing with balls and so on and so forth. I don't know. I mean. The speed aspect of it though, that would be sort of the question. I mean, rail, it's goods that are transported by rail is traditionally cheap. I mean, when we did coal, coal was a big thing. Yeah, Great yeah. big thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's certain goods that are not as time sensitive. Yeah, but now, but but you don't, the only reason there wasn't frequency is because you had to wait to accumulate. And so you could only run, accumulate enough, 200 cars in one day. Why not have 200 individual shipments and in fact one go there 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 and all of a sudden you you, you solve the frequency issue 
and you solve the travel time issue. That, that, I, like that, supposedly... I, I like that idea a lot, Alan. And one concern <laughs> I would have is if you've got a coal train coming down the tracks, you got to get out of the way. Yeah, so, so you I, have to I, have I, passing have signings. Little... You, 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 there is some infrastructure improvement that you have to put in there. But compared to adding lanes to our freeways or rebuilding the interstate highway system or whatever that people are talking about, only macro. I mean, yeah. this is a couple well, of weeks. Of the, 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 I, I don't think that's an either or. I think we need to build the interstate highway system. Um, I don't... For us to drive cars. Probably. Well, and, and for local trucks, I mean, rail is never going to go everywhere. Yeah, yeah, no, I agreed, agreed. Hey, but how about some of that infrastructure money going in to to improve that sidewalk and that street that was in Salika's uh, background? I mean, why why is all the why is all this infrastructure money just uh, come on, Peruka? <laughs> hey, I, I, I don't know I, if I got them there. <laughs> I think, yeah, no, I mean, this infrastructure to me, even the bipartisan bill. Is just full of stuff that is, I don't know, you know, it's last century or it's not really infrastructure. It's not priorities. You know, I will say in terms of sidewalks, I tend to think that that those are more local priorities. And I guess my question would be, why is that city not investing in sidewalks? Is it that they don't care about that neighborhood? Are they spending the money in somewhere else? Um, you know, because those sidewalks were really awful to not have a sidewalk on either side of the street. Um, I don't, you know, I'm trying to think if there's a private sector sort of way to invest in sidewalks. I think there probably is, but I need to give that one some more thought. Housing, I mean, it's as part of housing, as part of housing construction, yeah. maybe, you know, I mean, that's, that's how we, that's how we pay for local streets is, you know, as part of a housing development, you got to put in a street, you know, I mean, or, yeah, well, and even a traffic light. But, right? but the infrastructure bill you know, um, it would spend quite a bit of money on passenger trains. I don't think it would do a thing to actually improve the track. Unfortunately, the infrastructure is the track. I mean, I, I agree with you, but we don't, okay. I agree. <laughs> when go, getting back to trucking, Dick, uh, as, an, as an economist here with us, tell us what your thoughts are about, would the industry be interested in AV technology, if they still had to keep drivers in the vehicles? Probably not so much. Um, although I think they, they, they could change what the driver does. And right now, the, uh, the hours of service rules limit the trucking industry a lot. If you can say we have a partially automated truck, the driver can rest, can maybe doze a little bit, and you don't have the same hours of service, so you don't have to stop every eight hours and the vehicle can go nonstop for a while. Then that changes the economics of it. Um, so if you, if you can change the hours of service with, uh, with automation, uh, that would open up new markets. And, you, and again, you, what you're doing is changing the role of the driver. Baruch, you moderated a panel earlier this week on state and local policy making in preparation for automated vehicles. You had some great representation there, Arizona, San Francisco, Washington State, and Waymo was there. Tell us a, a bit about that panel and what lessons we can all learn from that. Sure. So the purpose of the panel was really, was really for state and local leaders to talk about what they are been doing for automated vehicles and also what they need to be doing. And so it touched on everything from policy goals, funding, whether they need to be making any changes to the roads, uh, motor vehicle codes, emergency response, things such as that. And I think the biggest takeaway for me was that Arizona is doing a pretty phenomenal job. Now, Arizona has some advantages. It's got a great climate. They don't have to worry about snow. They don't have to worry about rain. But they've also worked within their existing legislation to basically allow testing of vehicles. And because companies don't have to jump through so many hoops, a lot of the AV developers that were in California have moved over to Arizona and have started testing there. Arizona used to have basically an executive order system where the companies could do whatever basically was in that executive order or they couldn't do what was not in that executive order. We've, they've moved to a legislative um, package uh, that was passed um, this past uh, session 
basically because there was concern that with the change in governor, that executive order could basically be whatever the governor wanted it to be. And it might not be something that encourages the testing of autonomous vehicles. So uh, I think the Arizona is, is something for other states. Washington is a little bit more behind the curve. They also want to become a testing ground, but their um, legislation is really not uh, friendly for testing right now. And their regulatory climate is not considered friendly for a lot of the companies. Uh, San Francisco is very interesting because it provides an example of a city with all kinds of the latest uh, technologies being tested. And sometimes San Francisco feels like it's a little bit of a guinea pig and the private sector isn't taking in um, the city's concerns. So it was interesting to hear that. And then, of course, Waymo, as uh, one of the preeminent developers, um, was talking a little bit about what they want in this sort of limited regulation, the sort of um, knowledgeable officials, the sort of places that work as testing, a little bit uh, discussion of why they chose Chandler, Arizona. Um, it, was, it was really a mix and a match. It was a very interesting session. It was, it was a fantastic session. I, I thought uh, it was, and, and uh, it, ju- it just shows that Arizona has, has really learned and been through it and has the experience. And my goodness, um, as far as I'm concerned, I want to see New Jersey follow, uh, follow what, it, what Arizona's done. And I think the other important thing that I got out of Arizona was not just their welcoming of testing, their welcoming of deployment. And deployment is very, I, I would argue, is very different than testing. So, I mean, I would, uh, my view is, you know, for those that I would like to come to New Jersey, I, I don't want them to test in New Jersey. Uh, the, the, the assumption is that the technology works that they go in and and figure out where they should be deploying, what the operational design domain is to to meet the needs of the area that they're coming in. Let's start generating the value out of this technology. And and certainly in the front end, you have to then go convince yourself that that it works. And, And to me, that's that's almost trivial. Uh, you decide the operational domain, you run it for, for a substantial amount of time, and you have no disengagements. I mean, it's easy. If you have dis- disengagements and somebody has to grab a wheel, whew, you got to go fix. You're not ready, okay? Because this, the, the, the only, to me, the only valuable deployment, at least on the people movement side, is if you can do it without a driver, all these folks that are out there with drivers and attendants and so on, you already have that. We've had that for a hundred years in, in cities. It, it hasn't, you know, those are buses. Just because you have a LIDAR, BIDAR, or SMIDAR in there, who cares? You know, it's, 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 it's the ability that to, to, to lower the operating cost so that you are sustainable at an affordable price without having out here alms for the poor all the time. I need, I, I need money for my, to subsidize my buses because I have to pay for the driver. I mean, anyway, <laughs> I got a smile out of Baruch. So well, that, that is how we, that is how we do transit. So <laughs> well, it's unfortunate, but it's so bad. It is so bad. It is so bad. And it's not even good mobility. Travel time is lousy, frequency is lousy, accessibility is lousy, da 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 da. What good yeah. is it? Well, it's it's because it's never been something that's a priority. What about what about this issue? And it was discussed today, uh, Baruch and, and and Dick <laughs> as well about getting getting these companies into areas where there is a need for these mobility services rather than a a Chandler? Well, it, there has to be a market case. And that's one of the challenging aspects. That's a challenging part about Trenton. That's a challenging part about some of these other cities. There may be reasons beyond just um, the number of people that they could serve. There could be issues with crime. There could be issues with um, being hard to operate. I think it's a challenging environment. I personally think that there are some urban areas, maybe Trenton is one of them, um, where you've got enough of a population density 
and the, the sort of right origin destination travel patterns where it makes sense for these folks to do it. I mean, I do think there are communities across the country that are lower income where it does make sense. I think it's just a matter of finding them. And I think it's just a matter of elected officials working with the companies that maybe would have a little courage to do something outside of their comfort zone. I think part of the problem is no one's tried it. That's why it's easy to say there must be problems with crime. There must be other problems. Uh, and, and maybe that's the case, but you don't know until you've tried it. I, I do worry about whether there's a business case. And that may mean you need some type of subsidies. I suspect the subsidies will be less than the subsidies we pay for bus and rail now. Uh, but it probably does require some public funds to get it started. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I, you know, with respect to, uh, with respect to uh, a, a market and a business case, people are willing to pay for mobility. It just matters how much. Even the people in Trenton use taxis for the places that they really have to go to and pay who knows what. They've paid Uber and Lyft <clears throat> much more than we would expect these things to cost. I mean, Brad's out there at 25 cents a, a vehicle mile, whether it's 25, 40 cents or whatever, if we can somehow get them shared so that the average vehicle occupancy is two, holy hell, three, it's almost, it's, it's, it's next to free because the, 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 the distances aren't all that great to really improve the mobility and the accessibility, and I claim the quality of life and the opportunity for people to lift themselves out of the poverty, you know, and, and Salika explained all those things very well. And, and to me, that that's, I, I don't think it's an economic thing. Plus, if we do have to subsidize it, I mean, compared to what, I, I won't say it, but you, you, you all yeah. know. <laughs> She, mm -hmm. she probably made a more compelling case than us, us four white men would otherwise do. We're referring say, to Salika Talbot, who's an ele a lecturer at American University, yeah, yeah. principal at Autonomous Vehicle Consulting, LLC. Yeah, go, go ahead. Sure, sure. But, but I would also note, I mean, this is an area where I have said the, uh, the free market folks like me would feel comfortable with a small subsidy if it's high quality. And the subsidy is less than, you know, you're getting with bus and rail. I'm sure it's less than it would be with rail. Yeah. And, 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 go ahead, Dick. And part of the, the choice now, people, those people are using, in, in those communities, are using Uber and Lyft, which are not cheap. They're using taxis. You just have to have something that is less expensive than that. That autonomous vehicle should be less expensive than that. They uh, should so be. There, there should be a market. If, if, if they're not less expensive than that, then, then, I mean, you know, give it up. I mean, here, you know, utilization is much better than, than, than utilization with, the, you know, the ability to optimize and all that stuff, the ability, the opportunity to maybe be able to share rides, which Uber and Lyft had just not been able to deliver. Now, it may not be deliverable, okay? But the opportunity to do that, all of a sudden, it's an enrichment. And all the people say, well, you know, it's going to increase congestion. Oh, my goodness. Are we the only ones that are allowed to use the road to enrich our lives? Those folks aren't allowed to also, you know, go out there and enrich their lives. It drives me nuts that somebody would even say that kind of thing. <laughs> I, well, I, I, I don't think congestion is a bad thing. Yeah, no. The more, I mean... people, the more people and goods who travel, good for the economy. Um, and, 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 of course, autonomous vehicles can reduce headways as well. Yeah. But, but, it's, uh... but again, if we share vehicles, you know, we don't have any more vehicles out there. We just have more people traveling. Oh, I... And the, the objective is, is person miles traveled, not vehicle right. miles traveled. <laughs> but that, 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 that's a mathematical simulation result. I think you have to find markets that will work without sharing rides. Yeah, because the question would be, why haven't Uberpool and Lyft Line worked? You know, we've tried to incentivize carpools with hub lanes for years. You know, and the thought is, well, we've got this new technology. We've got the smartphones. It's going to be easier. But it still is not, people are still not doing it that much. So why? I mean, I, I don't know. I think it's the driver. I think it's the driver. I think it's the drivers. The drivers don't want it. 
The drivers don't want it because a few people complain and it's a pain in the butt for them. I've asked them, okay? And if you didn't have a driver in there and you wanted it, I mean, we share elevators. I keep using the elevator yeah. analogy. Everybody hates me for it. But my goodness, if you're in a Hyde hotel, okay, and they and, and Hyde thought that they had to provide you a, a single person ride every time you wanted to do the do the elevator, we go nuts. Yet we're all there, all nice white guys with our ties right. and to do, and we just, you know, I even get in there with you, Brooke. I mean, who who would who would have the thought? No, no one else would do that. Absolutely. I, I, no, I I, 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 I I think the elevator analogy is great, and it would work better if we only traveled for one block at a time. But if you're going for five miles or two miles, it gets a little different. So I really think you have, if, if you can find a business case that works without sharing vehicles, um, and I recognize the mathematics, uh, the beauty of it, if you can share a ride, everything is wonderful. But I think you first have to start, can you make money with one person or one family per vehicle? Um, and I, may, you know, I, 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 I think I, you can I do, do that. I think we can do that in Princeton, okay? I, I'm not sure we can do that in Trenton, okay? Now, if a company operates both in Princeton and in Trenton, then all companies have some amount of cross-subsidization, and I know cross-subsidization is not all that good. But in fact, oh, if, you, if you had a charter to operate, which transportation is really a utility and they probably should, uh, never mind, but we don't want to go down that road. But in a sense to allow, to allow, and you would want the operational design domain to not only include a Trenton, but also a Princeton. I mean, parallels exist all over the country in the same way, okay? To, to integrate that, then all of a sudden, I don't know, you might be able to come close with the one. I'd still work on trying to, hey, when there's congestion, I'll hop in with you, Dick. I mean, give you a big hug too, you know? I, mean, I don't know. I, 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 I may start start talking about economics. I mean, that, you, you, you may not, not want to stay in the vehicle with me for very long at all. <laughs> yeah, but I'll have my headphones on and I'll be <laughs> on my phone and I'll, I, you know, I won't even know you exist. It would be really interesting for the, the local MPO, the Delaware Valley Regional Planning Council or Commission, Commission. To, do a, to do an origin destination study. Because that's how you're really going to see how effect, you know, if this is effective. I mean, if people are going to the same places, because I don't know that they are. And are they going at the same time? I don't know that they are. And are they willing to share a ride? You know, I, I've heard, I've heard, I, again, as a white male, I'm not great, the best person to speak about this. But I've heard from several women that they are very nervous about sharing rides with people without a driver, because they think the driver gives them some sense of security. And I don't know how you solve that. Yeah, no, I, I mean, maybe you do it with cameras in there and so on. To, you know, the system is watching and all that stuff and everybody recognizes it. These, to me, these are the real things we should be working on. This is where, it, this is where federal DOT should be putting their money to work on these, these issues because I think they're really critical to figure out exactly what it is. And let me throw out even another one, you know, in, in, in Trenton, you know, the thing that we're really trying to focus on is not necessarily the A's to B's, but how do we make the A something that is the community would embrace? Someplace there is an elevator bank, there is a place where these things stop to pick you up. They might drop you off at your door, doorstep, but I think probably there's going to be a bus off. What should that look like? We call them kiosks, which is a, you know, a white guy's name. We need a better name than, than kiosk for it. But what, what, should, what should be there? How do, how do you make that part of the neighborhood? Think of the neighborhoods where we live. I think about Cleveland Lane here, where I live here in Princeton. You know, what should, but that should be very, very, very locally focused. The neighborhood should design that. We certainly shouldn't design that for the neighborhood. This is one of the things that I said, said, you know, we're not listening to these people. We're out there. We're told we have to educate them. What? Are you joking? 
They're well, the customer. <laughs> They're the customer. That's, that's a role for planners. And as someone with a planning degree, something that planners don't necessarily do well, they take all their technical tools. They're like, oh, I've got the solution here. Community, here's what it is. Um, you know, going in and meeting with the people, with those people, I think is a good idea. And I also think it will help you get some buy into your service. Oh, which yeah. I think it's really important. Well, if you don't have that, you're, you're not going to succeed. Right. And maybe that's what's happened to Waymo and Chandler. You know, they have these vehicles running around. People say, well, you know, I, I took the amusement park or park ride last week. I mean, I'm, I'm going in my, I'm going in my, my convertible Tesla, whatever to, to do for that. I'm pff, kidding me. Yeah. Well, <laughs> On that, that note is bring up an issue, ahead, which is that maybe the, the lower income communities would value it more because they don't have a vehicle right now. And Absolutely. so easier sort of to, to make that switch as opposed to someone, you know, like me who has my own car and I'm like, well, that was fun, but gee, I really like driving my car because that's what I've been doing for the last 40 some years. Well, as I like to say, you know, I have my wife and I have four cars here. I mean, they're, they're toys. Okay. What the hell? I mean, Waymo shows up out front, you know, Okay, you know, for them to compete with what seventy percent of the people of the households in Chandler have two or more cars. If you're going to do a be a Waymo and provide mobility to those to that that seventy percent, think of what you have to do to make them. Oh, I like Coke instead of Pepsi, which is in the end that's what you have to do, isn't it? If Waymo is Coke, sure, sure. and and, and in Trenton, I argue, my goodness, you almost have to do nothing because what the hell they have? They have that sidewalk that 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 Salika showed. They have to walk, or they have to wait forever for a New Jersey Transit bus. And if it's the weekend, forget about it. And hell, if you have to go at two o'clock in the morning, I mean, <laughs> never mind. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> we're just throwing this stuff out there. And we'll be back, Alan, with more. But first, this is a good time to remind you about our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. To get more info, head to MOTOETF.com. On the website, we should point out there's a, a white paper. It's called the Smart Transportation Revolution. It's under the Insights and News tab. Some great information there to help you make informed decisions about investing. You may know that ETFs can be a smart way to spread risk with investments and focus on a particular category of stocks. The website again is MOTOETF.com. Moving along, Alan, in the latest edition of the Smart Driving Cars newsletter, on top is a piece in the New York Times headlined, Behind the Lordstown Debacle, the Hand of a Wall Street Dealmaker. The focus is on a former Goldman Sachs executive, the acquisition of electric truck maker Lordstown Motors, and the subsequent public offering. The stock has since dropped, and there's a class action suit involved here, and the company has not yet produced a truck. I don't know. You just roll your eyes. I mean, you know, I mean, here we have a lot of people in this, both the EV and the AV industry that are working really hard. Uh, to do this without using a lot of smoke and mirrors, and then you have uh, you have them, you have Nicola, you have some others that you really and and your eyes, and you say to yourself, "Oh my!" I mean, you know. <sighs> but I guess this happens in all industries, and and you know, um, we have to I, I think there's there's good actors and there's bad actors, and unfortunately, that's always going to be the case, yeah. and it's important to make sure that in the media sort of the accurate story is being told. I'm actually, I miss, I, I don't see as much in Alan's newsletters of the half-baked. I miss the, I miss the half-baked stories. Those are the most fun. And I know there's still some half-baked media stories out there because I'm reading them. So, I mean, I think it's making sure we keep in perspective uh, the fact that there's going to be some bad actors out there but there's also a lot of companies that are really dedicated to this. Yeah, there's. Alan, let me stop you and ask you to adjust your microphone a little bit because we're not hearing you well now. Yeah, raise your microphone. Okay. So, so many of them are half baked these days. I just, I mean, it's just, and and maybe 
Fred will get to the next one in the New York Times and the other one. I mean, oh, oh my goodness. Go, uh, what's that they one? Have, they have fake governors full. So. The, 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 the one with, uh, with uh, the new regulations in Germany. I mean, it appeared yesterday. I mean, I read that thing and I did, I was yeah, wondering you, you who highlighted wrote this. That and not in a good way. It's headlined, How <laughs> Germany Hopes to Get the Edge in Driverless Technology. I mean, you know, it, it's like, I mean, whatever. <laughs> You know, somehow suggesting that, in fact, if you have a remote operation or something like that, you, you can do all this stuff. And I mean, uh, in the California regulations, there's been remote oversight of these since, since the beginning. Everybody's always considered there's going to be human remote oversight over, over all these things. I think Brad mentioned it today with respect to they're all going to communicate back to a, to a central control center. These are going to be public these are going to be corporate uh, operations fleet operations and that are going to be tightly uh, managed tightly controlled with somebody of responsibility at the top that is responsible not only for the profits coming in but the liabilities and, and potential liabilities i mean these are going to be well-run businesses because they're going to be businesses and their businesses and out there providing mobility and and in providing that mobility of being in, in a consumer market where it's, you know, are you going to choose Pepsi or are you going to choose Coke? I mean, you know, those are going to be, you know, part of that. And it's, 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 they're going to be well run. And, and it's, it's, it's not that, you know, we're not going to sit out there and have somebody, you know, me operating a vehicle, um, um, Dick operating another one, Baruch, or you, Fred, operating another one remotely with a with a choice. There isn't enough bandwidth. You can't do that. I mean, people are the 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 latency. Do you know how fast things happen out there? Just look at the last uh, Tesla crash. You know, with a with the Tesla passing on the right and God changing lane. Boom. You know, a deer ten days ago came out of nowhere in front of me. I didn't know if I hit a deer or if I hit a kid on a bicycle, okay? Never saw it, okay? So some of these things happen. I mean, you think somebody remotely watching a screen is going to sit there and, and get it? <clears throat> Never mind. Tesla, since you've mentioned it, is, is in the headlines again. A driver who allegedly put her Tesla on autopilot crashed through an earlier accident scene slamming into a California highway patrol car. And Alan, it's the same thing you've been saying over and over. It's, a, it's the same thing over and over again. It isn't autopilot. Okay. It's not that. It's the automated emergency braking system in a Tesla does not work. Because if it worked, they wouldn't crash into things. I don't care whether the driver's awake, not awake, in the seat, not in the seat, and so on. The thing, I mean, if we have to start with the automated emergency braking system. There are two things we got to do. We got to keep the darn thing in the lane, okay? And the next thing, we got to keep it from hitting stuff that, that's ahead, and if we can't do those two things, how could we hope to do, you know, a deer running across? And these are these are parked vehicles. Okay. I would I would also add that I think Tesla, the CEO, likes to market his product is doing things that it can't do. It's uh here we go, Alan Cringe again, SAE level two system. It's not designed to drive itself. And yet there's all these kinds of pictures of it being designed, supposedly, you know, folks doing that. And here's the problem. The problem is that even though they are, in my view, the one bad actor that's developing automated vehicles right now, we get these folks who don't really know much about automated vehicles who are like, ah, look at this Tesla crash. This shows why it's dangerous. This shows why we have to ban them. This shows why we have to get 73 different new regulations passed. And so it's really hurting the industry as a whole, in addition to, of course, hurting the people who are driving them incorrectly. So I think the Tesla is, is, is a real problem. Um, maybe Elon can focus on something else. I, I wrote last week that Elon's moved a little bit with his full self-driving. He's got to do a complete 180. He has to do a complete one. He has to turn around. He, he ha, he ha, Elon has to change the message and he has to change it drastically 
He's a great guy. He's, he's brilliant. He's built a bri brilliant number of companies, okay? Boring, SpaceX, you know, the, the, all this stuff with, with, uh, with uh, solar, you know, the car, wonderful. But this one, darn it. You, you, he's, it, this is negating all the good stuff that he did. And it's even worse. And that this, he is the only bad actor out there that I can think of. There was the one guy, dot AI, whatever, who was going to sell an aftermarket, whatever, and so on, so forth, and da da do, and, you know, that, that sort of, and then, you know, and then there's the auto issue a little bit, and whatever. But boy, he is hurting everybody. We have to cooperate on safety. We have to share information. We all have to be good on it. We all have to help each other. And we can't oversell the damn thing. We just can't. You know, Tesla is saying now that its autopilot will limit the top speed when driving through bad weather. I don't think that goes far enough. Well, of course it should. Of course it should. And maybe it should also limit it to nine over. It knows what the speed limit is. And when I wrote last week, also, it knows it's passing on the right, okay? In most places, you stay right, okay? And you only pass on the left. And you're only on the left to pass. Now, I know that there are some people like Fred that just sit out there in the left lane going <laughs> slow and keeps me from going right. fast. So in New right. Jersey, I'm, a, you know, I'm totally in the right lane. That's illegal what what makes autopilot allow it to break the law to be illegal to speed excessively and to pass on the right now it seems to me that nitsa should look at these things and say yo this little automate th this gizmo here is violating the law and in fact in violating the law it's causing a safety problem are there any car makers that are, that are doing that, Alan, that you know of? Not that I know of. Maybe, maybe somebody else. It knows it's in the right-hand lane. It knows it's passing. I, it better know. I mean, I, otherwise, what the hell is the software doing? I, I guess I would say the one challenge is, at least in this country, you know, I don't want to say traffic laws are made to be broken, but sometimes you need to cross the double yellow line. Yeah. If you're in New Jersey <laughs> and you're only going – nine over on the New Jersey Turnpike, you're going to get run over. Yeah, so, no. um, you know, but, but yes, I mean, it could be, they could come up with some common sense limits um, really easily. I, I absolutely agree. And again, another thing that I've been, you know, whatever for so long is we need to put truth in transportation, truth in, 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 in the rules of the road. The rules in the road as they are written now are for human consumption. And the recognition by those who wrote it that in fact humans are gonna sit there and game the system and do the thing and cheat a little here and get a little fun there and do all that stuff. And, and they've been written to allow that so that it doesn't end up in chaos. You can't take those same rules and apply them to code. Because guess what code does? Code goes line, 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 exactly, boom, boom. I mean, they're, they're marching just like, you know, I don't want to say whom, but you know, you can take whatever country and so on you want to take in terms of, a, of whatever, and, you know. Ones, ones and zeros, mm -hmm. yes and no. That's and so therefore we need to change it. So, you know, why do you stop at a stop sign? is to make sure that you can turn here, turn there, see nobody's coming. If I have a gizmo that says nobody's coming, why the hell should I stop? You know, same thing with the double line. It's just to make sure there isn't somebody coming the other way. If there's nobody coming the other way, you know, and speed, you know, as we know, the technology of, you know, cars is some of these speeds are on the New Jersey Turnpike are, <laughs> certain conditions or you know and and so therefore we need we need to discuss this there because if we put there. if we put those the, the 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 rules of the road that are meant for us into code it ain't gonna work some other headlines to touch on alan uh ro gupta 
at Carmera has announced the company has agreed to be acquired by Woven Planet. That's the advanced mobility subsidiary of Toyota. Yeah, so proud of my former student. Yep, go, go row. (laughs) Aurora Innovation, the autonomous vehicle startup uh, that bought Uber's self-driving unit uh, last December. They're going public via a merger with a special purposes acquisition company, SPAC, reInvent Technology Partners Y. Congratulations, Chris. I mean, Chris, Chris has worked, I mean, so hard, I think, for so long since the DARPA challenge, um, um, you know, and, and I think has had a, a really good vision and has been, you know, one of the good guys out there. Fantastic. Couldn't, couldn't be more uh, happier for him. Some, some have asked if it's a little too soon for them to go public. I'm certainly not doubting Chris because he knows a lot more than I do. But I know some financial analysts have said maybe maybe they should wait. I don't know what the motivation for that would be, but I think it was interesting. It strikes me that there, there, there's a feeding frenzy going on. They see everybody else doing it. Uh, if you can go out and get a $10 billion market cap, yeah, why not? Um, yeah, the, the marginal increase on top of that may not be all that great and so on. And in fact, you know, again, it's a time value of money and, and, and the uncertainty of the future and versus the certainty of the present, right? Or somewhat certainty, you know, Baruch and, and Dick, you guys, you, got, you, you deal with that all the time. And I don't know, Chris, maybe uh, he may be a little, you know, I mean, this, this has to be stressful, Okay, I mean, to, to do what oh, he's, he's done over that period of time. Okay, well, well going public that doesn't doesn't reduce the stress. In some ways, it makes it more stressful. Yeah, because everybody yeah. knows what you're doing. They'll see all the numbers, and they'll say you were behind what you said last quarter. So I think there there can be greater stress. Uh, but they must figure. Um, maybe they figure they're not going to get more money from all the other investors. They need to get it from the public. Yeah, yeah, you know, again, um, uh, it's a way to at least he, he sees something in his bank account, even though he can't really sell and all that stuff and the do do and all the other things and all the other constraints and da 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 da. But you know, I don't know. Um, um, maybe you know, having some public oversight, having some more things. Uh, um, they, you know, as as I think we all agree, they're one of they're one of the when we when we discuss how many people how many are going to survive here, whether or not it's pi, or it's five or whatever, um, uh, you know, they're they're among the they're among the the, the quality entities out there, and uh, and um, and and they have a lot of very good people. I mean, what what he indicated, he's at what sixteen hundred employees or something like that, and you know. He, um, there, there's a lot of talent there. Finally, Alan, AutoX has unveiled its full self-driving system. That's what they're calling it for robo taxis powered by NVIDIA Drive. Yeah, so uh, so my former colleague at Princeton, who's a CEO of, um, of AutoX and has gone there, I guess, you know, they're out there doing it. I, I'm not sure how, how much is public relations aspects of it and how much is real substance i i keep asking the question they 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 seem to in, they indicate that they're um driverless and jensen i i as far as i know there's only one driverless place and that is chandler arizona waymo all the rest is smoke mirrors and whatever uh maybe i'm not being fair to a lot of other people but uh, as far as i know there's only one that's actually made the decision at the CEO level, we're going to go out there and take the risk of, of putting vehicles out there with nobody in them to, to, to uh, be able to disengage the darn thing. Now, maybe they're driving behind each one of these things with, with following vehicles and everybody has like, who knows what and so on and so forth. And they have police escorts. And so I, you know, I, I, I don't think so. Uh, but, um, you know, I don't think they have much smoke or many mirrors. Uh, that's Waymo. The rest of them, my goodness, I mean, you just roll your eyes because it's nothing but smoke and mirrors. I mean, you look at some of these shuttles, again, uh, you know, 
you might as well have a, 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 a you know a New Jersey Transit bus on it with a New Jersey Transit union driver. What's what? and, and it seems that there's a lot of maybe gullible is the word, folks, with some of these you know press releases and information. I mean, I was even reading some of the financial statements on some of this this automated transportation technology for stuff that I knew was factually untrue. And they, folks, companies were making claims, companies I won't say now, so I, I don't get sued. But, uh, it, you know, their skepticism is the name of the game until the company can prove it, as I think Waymo has. I think they're legitimate. Um, I don't believe it. Right. I, I agree with you. And I think, you know, to me, I, a lot of people argue against disengagements. I think they're, they're the key thing. You're out there providing a service in an operational design domain where you where you intend to run a business to get the revenue to, to deliver your profits. And you've got to be able to do that with essentially no disengagements. And you can test that. You can know whether or not you do it. You can know whether or not you have smoke and mirrors doing it. And boy, you know, if you have the smoke and mirrors and you're out there and you crash, then you're responsible. You have to pick up the tab. You have to lose $60 billion of market valuation, which is what Uber lost when, when, they, when, they, when they killed, they killed uh, Elaine Herzberg, okay? You know, I mean, how can you put it in your code that the, that the automatic emergency braking system is not going to be functional above 41 miles an hour and you're above 40 miles an hour and you're traveling 41 miles an hour and you, you see the entity six seconds before you hit it. I mean, come on. Well, we want to <laughs> we want to thank Baruch uh, uh, and, and Dick for taking the time to join us today. You can find Baruch uh, uh, Feigenbaum at the Reason Foundation. Dick Mudge is at Compass Transportation and Technology. Thank you both very much. Appreciate thank it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you also to our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF. The ticker symbol for the ETF is MOTO. And more information is available at MOTOETF.com. You can find us once again at smartdrivingcar.com, also on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Spreaker, wherever you turn to for podcasts. Your smart speakers can play us too. And you can find my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser. Thank you for listening or watching. And please stay safe. And, and Richard and Baruch, thank you for such great, two great sessions at the TRBAV conference. I mean, they, they're uh, spectacular. They were fun. Thank fun you. to do. Yeah.